Hello and welcome to the latest Liverpool Blood Red podcast with me, Ian Doyle. Joining me today are our full-time Liverpool reporter, both home and away, James Pearce. Hello, James. Hello, Ian. And also Echo journalist, Dan Kay. Hello, Dan. Hello, Ian. Thank you for joining us. James, we'll start with you. and We'll start with Liverpool's performance on Saturday against Arsenal. 3-1 against, uh, 3-1 against the Gunners. Much better, wasn't it? It certainly was, yeah. It was, just honest, it was, it was hard to believe, just being sat there watching it, that it was... Effectively, the, the the same lineup who had, you know, had, had performed so disastrously five days before. Um, they were unrecognisable, really. Um, just in every department, in every facet of the game, just where they started so slowly against Leicester. You know, they, they you know they in contrast they got at Arsenal from the start, stamped their authority on the game. Just you know the the sheer kind of desire and. An energy that they showed, and you know the tempo, of the the passing, and the movement was 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 just on a you know a whole different planet compared to what we all had to endure down at the King Power Stadium the previous Monday. So um, the Liverpool were worthy winners, and you know there was probably two sides to the performance as well because you know they they absolutely dominated that first half um, with good value for a two 0 lead, and then had to dig deep in the second half when I think Arsenal were always going to improve and. You know, you you did fear at two one. You know what might happen, but to their credit, they um, they rolled their sleeves up, fought back, and didn't actually have that many scares really before uh, when Alden finally uh, killed Arsenal off. But uh, yeah, it was just just much much better all round. I mean, Dan, were you in any way surprised by what Liverpool achieved, given what's what's happened over the past few weeks and months? Not in the least bit surprised. I think it, in many ways. <clears throat> Just as it was right, it was quite painfully predictable that they would dip in the way that they did at Leicester last Monday. It was equally as predictable that they would bounce back the way they did against Arsenal on Saturday. And certainly at half time, I kind of felt rather mixed emotions. You know, tremendous 45 minutes of football, great attacking play. But also, in some ways, it actually made me even more angry about Monday night because you just kind of just because it was so obvious, because it was so predictable. And the first, when the first two goals went in, I found myself getting up out of my seat in, in the ground and but not kind of really cut and ripped because it, it was kind of tinged with still a very strong sense of annoyance from Monday. However, the third goal when that went in, and that's <laughs> because of the nature of the second half, and as James said, it was, you know, there was, they, they really had to dig in for that last 20 minutes, half hour, and made sure that they, they got the points. When we sealed it in the way we did, uh, I have actually seen some people uh, comparing one album's goal to the famous Terry McDermott yeah. goal against Spurs, which is slightly overstating it a little bit, <laughs> but it was a an exhilarating length of the pitch move and, and certainly everyone on my row was bouncing up and down. Um, yeah, a good release of emotion and frustration from the last five days, really. James, are you bouncing up and down in the press, press box when uh, that third no, goal I, went in? You know, I'm too professional. <laughs> <laughs> I might have given Andy Kelly's knee a bit of a squeeze. But, uh, it was just that time of the night anyway, yeah, wasn't it? Is this yeah. the After Dark podcast? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it was a special goal, wasn't it? I think yeah. it was... You know, it, it started obviously with Joel Matip making an absolutely crucial block on Sanchez's shot, and then you know Lalana just absolutely used class. Didn't he? The way that you know, not only did he collect the ball, but then you know just the composure and the poise to do one of his little pirouettes and and wait to pick the exact right moment to release Origi, uh, and just you know the, the weight of the pass with the outside of his right boot was inch perfect. And then you know you've got to give one out of them a huge amount of credit because. For him to be making that kind of run at that stage of the game, well, I think a lot of players might have just thought, do you know what, I might just hang around the halfway line there. But he, you know, he he could see the opportunity opening up for him, 
and uh, he made a difficult finish look really easy. Mm. The way that you know, t- having run fifty yards, absolute full pelt to meet it first time like that, and give check absolutely no chance. Um, and you know, when Alden pretty much under, you know epitomised Liverpool's transformation mm. in the week because he was so bad at Leicester, ridiculously bad. Um, yeah, he was he was brilliant again on the weekend, and Liverpool you know absolutely dominated that central midfield area. I mean, I gave Lallana man of the match because I just thought you know his his work ethic just you know set the tone really for a very one sided first half performance, and it was testament to how good Lallana was. The fact that that Cochrane got got dragged off because he um, he gave Cochrane an absolutely torrid time, and you know I, I think every time Cochrane looked up, he suddenly had. Lalana all over him, um, but you know that kind of desire and, and work ethic was, was kind of replicated across the pitch. Dan, when Juan Alden first signed, he, he came from Newcastle with a bit of a reputation as being not so much a flat track bully, but certainly somebody who only seemed to perform in home games against mm. lesser opposition, shall we say? But since he's moved to Liverpool, it's almost as though the bigger games it, it brings out the best in him. Yeah, he, he's delivered in, the, in the, a lot of the big games. Obviously, he scored a big goal against Manchester City on New Year's Eve. A really big goal against Chelsea. Uh, when we played them at the end of January, exactly a month after the City game, and that's <coughs> we we played Hull away. But that was the weekend after we drew at Chelsea. And he had a good game, obviously scored a really important goal. And oh, I was I was at Hull as a fan, and it was another very demoralising day. But one of the things that kind of kept playing on, on my mind afterwards wasn't so much the fact that when Alden was left out of the starting lineup at the KC Stadium, <coughs> but he wasn't brought on at half time, and he didn't feature at all, and. Emery, Emery Chan, who I think has improved quite a bit in the last 10 days or so, and I'm, 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 I'm delighted for him there because he has taken a lot of stick from supporters. Some of it warranted, some of it unwarranted. Um, <clears throat> but in light of, as James pointed out, the kind of the, the dichotomy between Van uh, Alden's performance on Monday and his performance on Saturday, that possibly puts it into some, a little bit more context why the manager made the, the decision that he did to leave him out at Hull. And... That, I'm sure, is one of the things that he will be hammering home behind the scenes every day in Melwood. We have to find a better level of consistency because you look at Manchester United, who were effectively 25 games odd and beaten. I know they lost that game at home in the second leg of the semi-final, but obviously it didn't really count. Now, they've lost, they've drawn 10 or 11 games at home. And we have to get ourselves in a position where our, our worst level doesn't plumb the depths like it does at the moment and makes us so easy to roll over because if we just manage to pull that lower level up a little bit, all the ambitions that we had for ourselves a month or two ago would still be there. I mean, Dan's just mentioned Emre Chandler, James, and, you know, he, he did OK at the, at the Leicester. In fact, he's probably the best outfield player, wasn't he? Yeah, 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 Leicester, yeah he's yeah. probably the best outfield player, but then again, it's not really saying a lot. <laughs> but at least he showed a bit more heart, and I think it was Neil Neil Jones who was in the in pod, the podcast last time, and he mentioned it looked as though he actually curred a bit. Yeah. Whereas, you know, he, he could have easily been sent off against Arsenal, probably should have been, if we're being honest, he did kind of take him out, the referee just thought, I'm not sure which one's done the foul I here, think so the I'll just... Yeah, 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 yeah. he did, he did kind of... I've done my cruise ship routine yeah. after, the, after it, it, it fouled Walker, I think, did the trick. Which is now called the David Hay. It's now going to be called the David Hay from now on. But yeah, Emery Chan, you know, we've, we've, we've talked about him yeah. forever on these pods, but... Giving credit, I mean, I thought he had a good game on, on Saturday. And it's interesting that it was in a position that you probably think he's more comfortable in, playing in that defensive midfield role, rather than having more of an onus on him to, to get forward and start being creative and, and breaking beyond the defence. Yeah, yeah he, did, he did look a lot more comfortable in that, in that role. Um, yeah, I thought, I thought he played well. He, you know, it was, 
you know, it was it was a testament to how well he played. The fact that Liverpool didn't miss Jordan Henderson on Saturday, mm-hmm. where previously when Henderson's been missing, you know, you've it, 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 there's been a, a real void there because of not really having any, anyone else who can who can play that role. But yeah, I think Chan, it's he's had he's had a strange season, hasn't he? Because I think you know people have really expected him to to kick on this season and. It hasn't happened, and you know I, I think this speculation about his future probably doesn't help matters. You know, it's it's got to be unsettling because you know he, he won't know where he's going to be playing his football next season. Um, you know, he does have a habit of you know of slowing things down at times and taking too many touches, and which is obviously a, a bigger issue when he's further forward and you, you need him to connect play and and get things moving quickly. Um, but yeah, Saturday was a reminder that you know of what he what he can offer and. It's going to be interesting because I don't I don't think one performance like that is suddenly going to make Liverpool dash back to the negotiating table and put another couple of zeros on the end of the of the of the contract offer. But um, you know it it would be a shame if he does move on in the summer because you know he, he's still young, isn't he? As well, I think you know sometimes he probably gets a bit unfairly judged because Christian Walter always reminds us he's younger than Kevin Stewart. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So you know I. I, st- I still hope that maybe they can they can find some common ground on that. That because you, you get the impression with Chan that there is a lot more to come. Yeah. Now, may, I don't know. May, maybe Klopp might reach a point with him where he decides, you know, a bit like I don't know, someone like Jordan Ibe, where he kind of thought, do you know what? You know, I, I'm banging my head against a brick wall a little bit here, and there's a very good offer on the table. Maybe it is time to to cut him loose. But I, I still hope. That the channel remain a Liverpool player beyond this season because you know when he performs like that on Saturday, you, you think you know he, he should have a future at the club. Well, nothing to talk about if he leaves. Exactly. <laughs> the one thing I liked about his performance on Saturday was his foul on Sanchez, oh, where yeah. he just took him yeah. out. He yeah, just yeah, took yeah. him out. Now we bear in mind that we've, we've spoken yeah. again almost as much as we've talked talking about Emre Chan about Liverpool being too nice and not yeah. doing these kind of fouls and stuff like that. Well, we're not advocating around kicking people, but that was... We like, are a little bit. Yeah, we, well, we are. That was the kind of foul, you know, he was running at him. Obviously, he'd been targeted by Sanchez. I think we picked yeah. up on that very early on when, mm. when Sanchez came on. Runs at him, you know, just takes him out, takes the book in, and you just think, yeah, that's what, that's what I'd have done anyway. It's that kind of savviness, I think, in game management that, that we've been missing for a long, long time. Um, and we, we all, it, it's, from time to time, drift back to that Chelsea game in 2014 when every single black art in the book, Chelsea wheeled out that day. And uh, going even further back, I always remember when Rafa Benitez of Valencia came to Anfield uh, and Gerard Hule's, well, things started to go downhill for Hule. And I think the beast is home and away in the group stage. But I remember particularly the home game. We lost 2-0 away and 1-0 at home. And the home game, Liverpool played quite well and dominated the game. But it always, they just seem to have us at arm's length for the, you know, with, with the little fouls, the little pulls, the little ways of breaking the game up. And maybe if we weren't quite as blatant about it, I think Rafa Benitez, Benitez did manage to kind of instill that into his team because look how successful they were at the top level of Europe for four or five years. And there, is a, there has been a naivety, I think, in this, in this Liverpool team over the last couple of years that hopefully they're gradually going to get a little bit tougher and a bit savvier and... Do what needs to be done to, to get to get games over the line because um, too often it, we've been, we've just been too much of a soft touch. I think. And of course, the funny thing about that is that this is in like a big game where Liverpool have got such a great record in, in these big games. It, mm. It's these are the games you kind of think where you need that savviness, but it's not for Liverpool, is it? It's, it's they need it in the other kind of games where the other teams are going to try and like Leicester rough them up. Like we're pretty sure Burnley will try and do that on on Sunday. Mm. And it's those kind of games, isn't it? As well, it's going to. 
ultimately define this season because probably the bad news for Liverpool is you know the only well they've got 11 games to go they've got obviously Everton at home and Man City away which you know, judging by the way this season's gone so far they'll almost take care of themselves and then that leaves leaves nine games where you know they are those are the type that they have had issues with and you know you think especially of West Brom away Stoke away Watford, Watford away. away you yeah. know those they're going to be the the big ones aren't they and you know that that's that's going to be the the, the true test of, of of whether you know they are Liverpool are going to going to shed this kind of you know this kind of well Jekyll and Hyde nature that we've seen all season because um you know they I think that's that's it must be I think there were some interesting quotes from Klopp in the papers today talking about you know having to look at the bigger picture come the summer because it must be very difficult for him to make assessments on players and when they're going from such a, a high level to a low level and then straight back up again because you know it's you know you Liverpool have not got a bad team I think that's the thing you look at that you look at the way they performed on Saturday and you know, a lack of depth has cost them at times this yeah. season. But the start, the, the, the first choice starting eleven, when they're at it, you know, there's, there's no one better to watch in the Premier League. But the, the, the problem is that, and I think maybe we touched on this before as well, that Liverpool, when they win games, they play really well as a unit. But when that's when that kind of that unit fails to to really fire, they they don't grind out results. You know, they have to play well to win and. And you know when it doesn't work, God doesn't you know it it, it doesn't have to go badly wrong, and you know they they get picked off by teams, they get frustrated, they leave themselves open on the counter, and you know weaknesses defensively from set pieces and and all the rest of it have have cost them in games that they they should have won but they've ended up losing. Dan, was Saturday a must win or was it more a please don't lose game? In in the context of finishing the top four. I don't think it was a must-win in terms of points-wise because it's still pretty tight amongst that top six. I think psychologically it was a must-win because it's been such a yo-yo couple of weeks with, you know, after the Tottenham game, we kind of thought, well, we're through January, over the worst now, and then having to wait so long for that game at Leicester, obviously they've gone away to La Manga to train, and it was, it really was, um, you know, Tuesday morning you could just tell, every, you know, looking at every Liverpool team you spoke to, everyone was just on the floor kind of thinking, well, how, you know, how do we bounce back from that? In many ways, though, I think arguably this Sunday against Burnley really will be the truer test. I know very few Liverpoolers that didn't expect us to get some a good result on Saturday, but Burnley, who obviously inflicted the first defeat of the season on the second weekend at Turf Moor back in August, um, will be more of a barometer, really, in, in terms of have the Reds ironed out those problems that have obviously caused the season to de- derail somewhat. The one thing that, that gives you, you know, some optimism in that regard is that Burnley, great season that they've had, their away form is appalling. They haven't won away from home all season. So, got, was it two two points? One of them was at Old Trafford. I mean, they could have easily got a point at Arsenal. There was that penalty in the last, last, the last, last yeah, second. Yeah, they lost twice in the last minute to Arsenal this So Burnley got something about them, but I mean, we'll touch that. We'll touch on that later this, mm. later this week. Um, James, just looking though at the running, you mentioned the home games. Would Liverpool prefer to be playing away against these kind of lesser lights? Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. No, I, I think you know. I, no, I don't think you, you don't want to be going away due to West Brom and Stoke and Watford. I think they are they are real they are real banana skins, and that's that that's where you know the 
the mentality is going to is going to be really be tested. And you talk about you know Cham, you know, putting himself around and you know, and and standing up to the you know, players and stuff on the weekend, and that that's what Liverpool are going to need in those games because you know, they aren't going to be particularly pretty contests on on Liverpool's travels there, and that's that's going to be the big thing for Klopp trying to trying to find a way because I think I think it's a number. Of, I think part of it is. I think part of it has to be attitude, just in terms of just how bang up they've looked for the so-called big games. In in contrast to how poorly they've started some of the other ones, um, but there's also definitely a kind of a, a, a tactical side to it as well that Klopp's going to have to look at because you, know, you you look at the the kind of the blueprint that probably maybe not so much Leicester because they did actually try and get out Liverpool early on, but certainly. You know Swansea and and Hull, um, and you know Burnley. Obviously, before that, earlier on in the season, where they did just look to to, to get bodies behind the ball and pack the central areas and try and force them wide and and then back their centre halves to deal with whatever crosses were slung into the box. Um, so you know that's something that Klopp's going to have to look at because they they Liverpool they do have a habit of being too predictable in in those games, but. The fact of the matter is, if they play with the kind of the, the intensity and the tempo they showed on Saturday, it doesn't matter how you know whether whether teams know what to expect from Liverpool. They won't be able to stop them because when they when they when they play at a pace like that. But the problem is when they don't and everything's slowed down and it, they make, they make it too easy for teams who, who who just get numbers behind the ball. I'm going to put this one out to you both now. Uh, we've spoken a lot about the goalkeeper in these podcasts over the over the whole season, really. But Simon Mignolet makes the save from Giroud when it was 2-0. Decent save, save good save. The half of the bar, yeah. Tottenham makes the save from Son, I think it was, when it was 2-0. Yeah. Chelsea makes the save from Costa, Costa. from the penalty. Yeah. Now, we've said that your goalkeeper needs to make you know, earn your points or, or win your points. He's kind of there. He's, he's certainly kept, kept the point against Chelsea and he's kept Liverpool ahead or certainly kept your opponents at arm's length in two other big games down. So do you think maybe Mignolet is producing these saves that you want your, your keeper to yeah, make at key points I think of the you, season? You can look, for example, at the um, watching a bit of the FA Cup replay last, last midweek and Huddersfield first shot on target goes straight through Claudio Bravo and, and, and into the net. I think later on I had the radio on and they said that there was ironic cheers from the City fans when he made a save towards the end. And... Um, you know, I was at a whole a couple of weeks ago, like I mentioned, and you know, it's hard not to feel that he cost us that game with you know, a drop in a corner just on half time, which led to a very, very soft first goal. That's always going to happen with goalkeepers. I think, in general, his overall game has definitely come on. I think, I think the the arrival of Carius as a genuine threat to him for his first team place has really made him knuckle down and identify and 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 just realise that this is pretty much the last chance for Luna. You know, Carius did get his did get his head in the first team, didn't take his opportunity. Mignolet did get back in, but I think it's been made clear to him. And even during this spell, when he has, like you said, made some good saves in big games, um, the, likes of G- you know, the likes of Jamie Carragher repeatedly has said publicly that you know he thinks he is still not good enough for Liverpool, still need to be looking for a new goalkeeper. And so I think he knows he needs to keep his, 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 his nose to the grindstone right to the end of the season, keep performing. Um you do feel he is improving as a goalkeeper, and it would be. I always think back to Brad Friedel, who didn't really deliver at Anfield, but then went on to become one of the best goalkeepers in the league once he left Anfield. And it would it would be frustrating to see him then go on somewhere else, with us having almost done his apprenticeship with us for someone else to reap the benefit of it. Um, that being said, goalkeeper is such a crucial position, and 
there are, you know, the reason I think the reason why I went for Karras rather than Minile was because there are there have always been questions about Minile's kicking and his distribution. I think that side of his game has improved a bit. Whether it's still good enough, I'll have to see. James, there are sorry. No, I was going to say it's funny that with Minile because he has he has made some really really important contributions that, have, that you know he certainly saved Liverpool. Well, a good game at United as well, didn't he? Yeah, at Old yeah, Trafford, yeah. there's yeah, another yeah, one. Well, I think that was probably one of his best games with the club at Old Trafford mm. and. He certainly saved Liverpool a lot more points than he's than he's cost them. But you know, the life of a goalie is that people obviously focus so yeah. much on on the errors. And I, you know, I think it's interesting that even you, your sense around Anfield, when still, still when he's got the ball at his feet, you kind of sense that unease, don't you, in mm. the crowd? There's and, an anxiety, definitely. Yeah, but there, isn't, there isn't really the anxiety when the ball put into the box now, though, is there? I don't sense that. No, I, don't I, sense I think that. even, I don't even his kick in this season has improved. Yeah. A, a, a great, you know, a great. Deal. Not nowhere near as many kicks going straight into the Yeah. No. Or, or so, going over the line when he's meant to clear yeah. them, like at Burnley. Burnley yeah. Yeah. I, I just think sometimes it is almost be careful what you wish for because the Mignolet does get a lot of unfair stick. You know, yes, he's made some mistakes, but you know, he's he's now also he, I think Dan Dan's right is that, you know, I think if Liverpool did get rid of say if say he was say Liverpool went and bought a new number one this summer, uh now if he's gonna buy a new number one, you'd imagine that Karius would be the one that stays just because, you know, he's the younger one and you know still serving his apprenticeship. But, you know, I I think there's a good chance that Mignolet would go elsewhere and and, and, and maybe let you know, Liverpool be left to to, to rue that decision because you know, he's got a lot of experience for someone who I think what is it? I think it's his birthday today actually yes yeah, 20, 29 29 today, yeah. 29 today so he's you know Chris Kirkland does a column for us now doesn't he for the Anfield Extra Service and he said recently when I spoke to him about it that he said you know he's not even at his peak yet you know he mm. said you know early he reckons early 30s 31 32 for a goalie so you know and I, and I think people will say you know he yeah he, he hasn't got the kind of all the tools that you need or whatever, that there's weaknesses there. But I think the way he's kicked on this season shows that you can improve as a goalie and, you, you know, decision-making improves. Certainly his ability to command the penalty box has yeah. improved. More kick- of a presence, definitely. Yeah, his kicking's improved. I think, you know, I think also with... It, I think it stung him and hurt him losing his place to carry us over on the season. And since he's come back, I think, you know, he's probably shown kind of... Kind of the kind of resilience and mentality that maybe people doubted that he had in terms of, you know, I think it, you know, it definitely hurt him, and so you know, maybe now he's you know, fired up more in terms of wanting to prove people wrong, and maybe even prove Klopp wrong because you know he know he knew, he will know as well that Carius would have definitely started the season as number one if he hadn't broken his hand. So, yeah, I I, th- I think. You know, he, he, that was a big save he made on on, on Saturday. Very early in the second, yeah. like first minute of the half. Yeah, minute. and yeah, I think you know he's. It's, it's just going to be interesting because I, I just think people will say maybe you could do better than. And you're right, you probably could go and buy, a, you know, another keeper in the summer who is better than him. But I just think, in terms of where Klopp needs to strengthen, I just don't. I think I think there's a lot more pressing concerns yeah. than the goalkeeping area, and especially. You know, it's, he's not going to have a blank checkbook in the summer. It, it, that's why it really wouldn't surprise me if 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 Mignolet remains the number one next season, just for because a you know he he wants to spend the money elsewhere, and b Mignolet has improved a lot. Well, I mean, one interesting aspect from the game on Saturday before the game even started was the team, because there's obviously a lot of speculation. They lose three one to Leicester. A lot of fans were calling for big changes. Obviously, Jurgen Klopp when he made the one, and even then it was one that you kind of saw coming, having a set, an available centre back backing at centre back. 
with only those 11 games left, you feel as though now, unless something catastrophically goes wrong, he's going to just try and stick with these you know, 12, 13 core players between now and the end of the season. The problem has been when we had that big run of games in January, a lot of the fringe players, when they did get chances here and there, didn't exactly make any great claims to say, you need to be picking me every week. Um Rigi did well when he, mm. when he came off the bench. I, I was really yeah. I was pleased for, for, for Firmino getting his goal on Saturday because he's been a bit of, in a bit of a trough of form, and I do think he's a really really important player for the way we play. But I think um, a settled team has been you know the, certainly seems to be the foundation of, of of the success we were having in the first half of the season, um, and inevitably as you get towards the end of the season, there's always the, the Everyone's always looking over the shoulder, but you know, particularly the players on the fringes. Even if they're not, whether they're looking to get in for next season or they're looking to make themselves attractive to future clubs, and that's a healthy position for a manager to be in. You know, he always wants competition for places. Clavan, I thought did really well on yeah. Saturday yeah. as well. For, and he's another strange one, isn't he? Because it just it, the bigger the game that he's played in this season, the better he's been. Yeah. You know, he was. You know, he obviously he was. You know, I thought he was brilliant at Goodison and the Merseyside derby, Man City at home, Old Trafford. Or Trafford, well, yeah, um, just seems to f- focus the mind within the, the the higher the stakes has been, and you know you think of the obviously the awful mistake he made that gifted Sir Goods and the winner against Swansea and another game penalty at Sunderland, penalty yeah, at yeah, Sunderland, yeah, he was, he was terrible at yeah, he was yeah really poor in both those games. Um, so basically, but, don't play him against any teams beginning with S. <laughs> I think is what we've learned. Or yeah. well, well, bearing in mind the fixtures we've got coming, we might not see him after yeah. City and Everton. Yeah, well, I mean that's the thing. Like you, you look at it now and you think. Daniel Sturridge may well never start a game for Liverpool again, because you know it's it, obviously with his fresh injury problems. You think where's he going to get? Even if he gets himself fit again in the short term, you know where does he fit in? Origi possibly could mount a challenge between now and the end of the season in terms of playing time, because you know as Dan said, I thought that was that was much more like it from Origi when he came on. Did actually stretch defenders, you know, actually held the ball up, brought others into play, and obviously. Quality class, as well. Yeah, place, yeah. Um, so that was better for him. But then, you know, I think you'd expect Lovren to cut, even though Clavan did really well. I, th- I still think Lovren will probably come back in um, instead of him to play alongside Matip on on Sunday. And then that's that's pretty much that, isn't it? Because that was the other thing that kind of struck you about on the benches on Saturday was, you know, when Arsenal were having a go in the second half, you know, they brought on Sanchez, Walcott, and. Perez, you know, mm. sixty million quid's worth of talent off the bench, and you know, whilst as a Liverpool fan, you kind of knew that if Liverpool were going to win that game, it was going to have to be the, the eleven that started it, because you know, again, the bench without with no Sturridge, no Lovren, obviously Jordan Henderson. Um, Lovren you know, was on the bench, wasn't he? So I mean, he was on the bench, but you know, in yeah, terms never, of yeah, yeah, yeah. not not be, game changing options. Yeah, yeah game changing options. Can try those shots from thirty five so, yards. Yeah. <laughs> Always backs himself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it just shows the the limitations of the squad, and which probably explains you know why you know, the Liverpool season went off the rails like it did in in January because you know when it did need freshening up a little bit, he, he didn't have those options. Moving away from the game, finally, James, you've been uh, rifling through the club accounts this afternoon, and you, you've you've picked up one or two aspects that uh, probably haven't really been noticed. First one being the, the size of the payoff for Brendan Rodgers and his staff. Yeah, it's interesting. a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. Yeah, fifteen and a half million pounds, I think, in in total. I mean, it's that's not purely what went into Rogers' back pocket. No, you know, far from it. It's you know that's 
that's basically payments made to the staff that were dispensed with in that 12-month period up to the end of May 2016. Um, so obviously covers it, it, it covers Rogers' payoff, but it's also you know during that period there was two shakeups in terms of the backroom staff. Obviously the first one when um, Mike Marsh and Colin Pascoe were dismissed, and then and then obviously again you had um, McAllister and Sean O'Driscoll, Glenn Driscoll, and Chris Davis, um, who obviously were all, all went uh, on the back of Rogers' sucking. So uh, so yes, yeah, quite a, a huge sum of money, but. You know, that was the cost of of making a change that I think most Liverpool fans would say was money that had to be spent um, when when they knew full well that, that Jurgen Klopp was waiting in the wings and wanted to take on the challenge. Um, I think the other one that, that jumps out at you in the in the, you know these figures now have been lodged at Company's House, so we've got like more detail to the kind of just you know the bare bones that the club released last week. Is is the size of the wage bill, which for the first time has gone over the two hundred million pound mark. It's, Jumped nearly twenty five percent in the in the space of a year, which actually means that Liverpool's wage bill was bigger than Man City's and bigger than Arsenal's. Mm. That's not just the players, though, is it? No, players and staff, and obviously, you know, Klopp. Klopp doesn't come cheap, and and and, and all of his staff as well. But it's, but it, you know, it does it does kind of fly in the face of this idea that Liverpool don't pay the don't pay the the wages. You know, that's the kind of. The, the the kind of perception is, isn't it, that Liverpool can't compete, you know, with with the likes of Man City and Arsenal because of the wage structure. But um, you know, that was during a period where you know they brought in some pretty high profile. You know, obviously Benteke was on big money, Firmino on big money, Milner, obviously as a free transfer um, on a big contract as well. Um, and obviously that includes you know the the new contracts they they dished out to existing players as well. Dan, as a supporter, when you see these numbers like fifteen million pounds payoff for for mm. people who, who, who the reason that they are being paid off is because somebody's made the decision that they're not good enough, they've yeah. not been a success. I mean, are these just like numbers now, or is, it, is there just no kind of context to it all? Well, I, I think people are. It is kind of like white noise after a while. It, it, it's it's nothing new. These telephone numbers, it, they are obscene in their own way, getting getting thrown about. Personally, I, you know, it, it's when well, certainly when it comes to someone like Rogers, it, it's I would say. It, it, He's not a charity case. I'm sure he wasn't. He wasn't a poor man before he came to Liverpool. To my mind, he'll, he'll always be the fellow who's one slip away from winning us the league. And however well he's doing it, so <clears throat> however well he's doing it, Celtic, I'm sure he'll always feel a certain sense of regret about that. I think the fundamental thing is they got the right man in. And it, whereas in the past we've paid, we've, we've had these enormous, and, and it hasn't just been in the past. It hasn't just been the case of paying off previous management. Um, Management teams to you know to, to, to sling the hook. In the past, we've actually had to pay players to leave when they've had two or three years from the end of the contract, and they've had to pay big contracts out. And that's one of the things that that that, that kind of certainly has wound me up in the past. The bottom line is they got the right one in, in Jurgen Klopp, and even if it, I think it's just one of those kind of slightly not necessarily a bitter pill, but a slightly distasteful pill to have to swallow. Right, I think that should do us. Uh, join us later this week where we will look ahead to the Burnley game. Cheerio. <laughs>